0: I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video. I want to take a look at the video.
1: Hello and welcome to Open Minds Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with my good buddy,
2: Jason McClellan. Hello, Alejandro, and hello, everybody. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited because, you know, we moved to this new
1: office, and I'm sure people could hear in the background, people like uh, in the microwave and getting water and, and ice and stuff. but uh, fighting over coffee. Yeah, fighting in general, so
2: slap boxing. Yeah, a lot of that yeah. going on.
1: Yeah, sometimes they get upset with each other and they kind of slap each other. Yeah. A little bit pull each other's hair. That's office. Yeah. That's how offices work. That's how, Yep, exactly. So uh, now we are in our conference room with some microphones to hopefully uh, have things sound a little better.
2: And uh, they sound great. You sound great, Jason. Well, I always sound great, but thank you for finally, finally noticing. You are sounding wonderful this morning. Excellent. Speaking of wonderful, our guest this week is wonderful. It is
1: Linda Zimmerman, and I'm really excited because I wanted to talk to her for a while. She uh, wrote a book called Hudson Valley UFOs, and uh, she's written a couple books, Into the Night Sky, uh, all about UFOs in New York. So we talked to her about how she got into this. She actually... Investigated paranormal for a while, uh, but before that she was kind of a mainstream uh, person who worked in science and stuff. And it's like, why would someone like this get involved with the paranormal? Well, we'll find out why in just a little bit. So uh, really fun to talk to her, and uh, we'll have that on in a minute. Any other like big news? I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I can't think of big news. Well, I do have some big news when it comes to UFO news.
2: Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good.
1: When it comes to UFO news, which of course Jason and I cover every week, uh, but first we want to say welcome to Roger Marsh. So this is really cool. Roger Marsh is the Director of Communications for MUFON. And he, uh, as many of you know, writes about the sighting reports that MUFON gets. And it's cool because once in a while, uh, first of all, he'll write about the latest and greatest sightings as they happen on a daily basis. But he also has kind of special access or at least quicker access to look at the cases that have been resolved and determined to be unknowns. And so he's able to interview at least the investigators, sometimes even the witnesses, and then write stories on that. So you can kind of get the insight on the investigation on some of these things, which is cool too. And this is all part of the effort that MUFON has to release you know information as quick as possible to show that they are transparent and you know they are uh they do feel it's important to get people information as soon as possible and they always have but uh we are very happy to be a part of it and now roger marsh will be posting on TV so last week we already started and we had a couple cool sightings that we posted uh one of them in particular well they've both done really good a lot of people are interested gotten a lot of hits but uh our good buddy George Knapp luckily reposted one of those, so we got a a lot of hits on that one. And that one's pretty interesting because it was uh, an object that this this lady saw that she said looked to be football size, football field size, but that's a lot bigger. That's a there's a big difference between big difference football between size, two, yeah, <laughs> and a football field, so, sorry, yeah, football field. So really huge UFO, pretty cool. So go to the site to check that out. However. I want to ask Jason, what was your favorite UFO story of the week last week?
2: My favorite UFO story last week was about a football field-sized UFO. No, oh, I'm, I'm, really? ki- I'm kidding. No, okay, it was a good story. But uh, no, it was a good one. A lot of people were, you know, it's easy to get frustrated with stories like that. Just go off on this. Tangent here for a little bit because you know I, I agree with people. You know we read stories like that where all that sounds incredible. Yeah. But why isn't there any photo or video? Yeah. I want to see this yeah. thing. So we know that it's not not always possible for these witnesses to get photos and or video. But when you have something incredible mm-hmm. like that, reading it, I agree with with everybody who is frustrated saying I want to see the video. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But me that too. is a really good point to bring up
1: because I think people are used to our site that we usually. Don't cover a story unless there's a picture or a video. Right. And, of course, a lot of the times the videos turn out to be something mundane or something we can uh, figure out, but, or at least often you and I
2: feel uh, that it's something that uh, is mundane. Offer a reasonable ex- explanation.
1: Yeah. Right, right. So uh, these often, uh, in fact, I think maybe there's been only one or t- two times prior that we've posted a, a story without a picture or a video because we try to, to make sure there's a, some visual component. Uh, however, uh, these stories, yeah, often come without pictures or video, uh, but they're still interesting because there are sometimes multiple witnesses, right. and uh, certainly, uh, you know, seeing the, from the popularity of the stories, that people still like to hear what other people are seeing. But uh, you got to remember, one, that not everybody has the presence of mind to grab their, their camera and really, if you're seeing light in the night sky, that's nearly impossible. I, in fact, I would challenge anyone to take your phone outside at night and try to film a
2: satellite or try to film uh, even a plane at, at high altitude flying around. Really difficult to do. Yeah, plane, bright stars, planets, even the moon. You know, Take a picture or video of the moon at night with your, yeah. with your cell phone. and uh, it's hard Video and photos aren't that great at in- night.
1: And and even if you get something, it's hard to discern what the heck it
2: is. That's right. So no real usable details from those photos. Yeah. So it's really
1: hard uh, to do that sort of thing. So I can under, understand why some people wouldn't have pictures and videos. But it's yep,
2: so. And it it is funny because you know you're damned if you do, damned if you don't yeah. with photos. And <laughs> That's all, a good point. Way, so.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because even if you get a photo, everybody's
2: like, no, that's a plane, that's a Chinese lantern or something, because you can't tell what it is anyway. But being visual creatures, yeah, we we want to see the video. We want to see the photo. It helps put that image to the details in the, in the uh, reports. But yeah. with that said, I think these reports are important. There are good details that come out in these yeah. sighting reports, even though they don't have the visuals to go along with it. You're right. And we are visual creatures. In fact, uh, when it comes to you and I, visually stunning creatures. Yeah. Some people uh, are, are luckier than others. <laughs> we are blessed, my friend. Uh, the aliens favored us. Yeah. Yeah, they're our buds. All
3: yeah. right.
2: Well, let's get back on track, and I yeah. will now answer your question. Uh, I guess we have two weeks' worth of stories to choose from this oh, week. Oh, that's right, because it a holiday. We didn't have a what? show. I want to talk about a story that we've talked about several times. It's been sort of an ongoing story for the past couple of years. And many of you probably remember this. It was great video that came out in 2012 from an amateur astronomer named Alan Epling. Uh, he took a photo, photos and video of a weird cigar-shaped UFO in Kentucky in October of 2012. Now, this was quickly kind of dismissed by local media, as being a toy solar balloon. And, you know, many people wouldn't... They, they didn't buy that explanation because they'd look at available photos of solar balloons, and, it, you know, solar balloons didn't look anything like this object. It was transparent rather than solar balloons that are usually more garbage bag-like, the, the black sort of plastic thingy. But, you know, while that could possibly explain it, and Alan Epling at the time admitted, hey, look i 'm not saying that this is an extraterrestrial spacecraft. It could be I, I have no idea what it is, but I'm doubting the the balloon theory. I will accept a balloon as a possible explanation, but this thing hovered in the sky for hours, and balloons don't typically do that, and uh, you know there could be some technology that uh, could do that, but it seems pretty strange. Well, about a year after that, Google came out, Google, the giant tech company. And claimed responsibility for this UFO, saying that it that what people saw was just a test of Project Loon, this new uh, project they're testing to try to bring internet to places where there there isn't internet. So basically, like these floating Wi-Fi hotspots. So when Alan Epling heard that, he said, you know, again, I I entertain I, I would possibly entertain the idea that what I saw was a balloon, but unless they figured out how to make a balloon hover in the sky for hours, uh, you know it's still pretty fishy to me. And I agree with them, and there were still people who didn't buy the story because Google came out with this Project Loon and published videos and photos of testing being done with these balloons, and they didn't look anything like what we see in Alan Epling's photos and videos. So again, that made people question this assertion that what people saw was... Project Loon Balloons. Then almost a year after that now, Google just came out and said, so yeah, that balloon of ours that people saw and thought it was a UFO, it was actually a prototype. So that's why it it looked different than the other balloons that we've shown you. But we still don't have photos of that prototype that they call a Falcon 11 prototype. So we don't know what that looks like, but I don't want to rant here too much and, and doubt Google, but it, it does seem fishy that you know they didn't make this assertion when they first claimed responsibility. Mm-hmm. And at that time, all of these questions were, were there. People wondering, well, how can you say that when it doesn't look anything like that? How do you explain that? There was no explanation at that time. It took almost a year later for them to come forward and say, oh, look, here's why. It was this prototype. And The more interesting thing from that story is that they now admit that they lost control of this balloon when they launched it from California. And they lost control and they lost the ability to track it. They had no idea where this balloon was. And so they they say that they relied on UFO sky watchers, UFO hunters, to track the balloon. They just watched online for people reporting UFOs. That's, That's what they assert. But I don't know how they could possibly know that this was their balloon and, you know, well, it took them a year to claim that. I, there are a lot of weird loose ends and, and just oddities to this story to me. Yeah, I, I got I Personally, I got to call
1: BS on, on Google because, sure, while I do, I, I felt all along it was probably some sort of weather balloon or, or solar balloon or something like that. Google can't make claim to this thing. It makes no sense. First of all,
2: they say they, they lost control of this thing.
1: It was then seen in Kansas and then later in Canada.
2: Yeah, California, then over through the South, through Kentucky and some other states, okay. um, and then yeah, yeah, I think I up into Canada.
1: Yeah, but which is kind of crazy. And if they lost control, how can they claim that this is theirs? They don't know for sure. How could you? How is it possible whatsoever to know for sure it's yours unless you had some sort of tracking device on the thing? But if that was the case, they wouldn't have lost it. Yeah. So they had no idea where their balloon is. They don't. I mean, the best they could say is that is probably
2: our balloon, just because they recovered the something in right. Canada later. Mm-hmm. How do they know that that's what Alan Epling saw? And in- the UFO tracking idea is absolutely. It really is absurd. It is, I mean, and this is this is what you know. You suggested to me, and I I agree with you. I mean, it seems more like a publicity stunt on their yeah. part to bring up the whole UFO angle and and latch to that story because that mm-hmm. was a big story. It was making international headlines, yeah. and it did for you know that year, and uh, then they reignited it by claiming responsibility in 2013, and then now bringing it up again and bringing the UFO angle into it again by saying, oh, and we relied on UFO trackers to find yeah. it. Yeah. There are over something like, on a monthly basis,
1: 500 UFO sightings throughout the United States. Yeah. And they were able to somehow go through the database and determine which one was their balloon and which wasn't, that really doesn't make any sense to me, especially, uh, I mean, they would have had to have gone to move on if they could have said, if they would have said, well, you know, we think this sighting was our balloon, this sighting was our balloon, but they haven't shown any. It's a complete lack of information, and what they've said so far doesn't really fit or hold true. It seems like, yeah,
2: they're latching onto this UFO thing for publicity. Yeah, I, I think that's the most likely explanation. Just so many things with the story sound like BS to me. I agree with you. Really, yeah. Really, but... Bizarre. I mean, a total lack of information, and it just doesn't fit. And, I mean, I, I, I don't know. They haven't addressed the fact that he saw this thing stationary in the sky. Balloons aren't yeah. stationary. I mean, they can appear to be that way for a while. They can sort of drift yeah. and change elevation and catch another uh, air current and travel back the other direction. So it seems like it's kind of staying in the, the same place, but not for hours. What upset,
1: I guess why I, it kind of gets under my skin a little bit, too, is they're kind of making fun of UFO observers. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, look at these silly people, so, see balloons. And we knew these silly people would think that they were UFOs. Mm-hmm. So we, we decided to let them track it that way. I mean, it's, it's condescending. Yeah, absolutely. And,
2: and I don't like it. I don't like it either we should be making fun of these people, these yeah. technology giants. They lose control of their balloon and can't even yeah. track it. This is Google. They track everything. Yeah. And I, I do like Google. I love Google. So this I love Google, but Google, Google X, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm I don't know. They
2: X, I don't know. They're not
1: holding, upholding to the gold standard of, of Google.
2: That's right. So I don't know. I Google think Google, exact, needs to dump Google X, X yeah. Google X. X
1: Google X. That's
2: right. X Google X. <laughs> X Google X. X
1: Google X. Yeah. Go.
2: All right. Well, what is your story, Alejandro?
1: That's a tough one because we had a couple good stories. And I should mention some of our really cool stories have been coming from submissions. Yeah. Because now that we don't do the print magazine, uh, some of those people, such as Umberto Viziano, uh, our Italian friend, and then Paul Stonehill, who covers Russian uh, s- UFO stories have been writing um, some stories to post on the website, so that's really cool. They have some really cool stuff, uh, like UFOs over the Kingdom of Georgia. It's it's a real historical piece, too, because you get to learn the history of Georgia, um, and not the state, the country. But uh, the other hard thing is uh, we've got, otherwise, some really cool stories, too, in that uh, we have this uh, air safety board in Australia story with a UFO nearly... colliding with an airplane. However, I'm kind of cheating and plugging some of the stories, but uh, I want to go with the EPA report on mysterious cattle deaths at Area 51. One of my favorite researchers and cool dudes, Shepard Johnson, is actually the guy who sent me this, this document that he found. He's always calming databases for... Um, cool files on UFOs. He's the one who showed me, you know, at least one Air Force file in Blue Book that had mentioned Area 51, which is really cool because I I didn't realize, I don't think anybody realized that Blue Book had mentioned the term Area 51 before it was supposed to be uh, out there. It was supposed to be secret at that time. But this is really neat. This is from June of 1977. And it's a report from the EPA on mysterious cattle deaths at Area 51. So these EPA investigators decided to go check it out. They go talk to security at uh, the base. They give them a map of the Groom Lake, where, uh, which is you know, essentially where the airstrips are at, at Area 51. And the, the map is marked with the mysterious cattle deaths and these guys go investigate them, at first you're thinking, you know, oh, cattle mutilation. However, it seems like these animals died mysteriously. They couldn't determine. And during the investigation, they they couldn't figure out how these things died. But they didn't say they were mutilated. But they couldn't figure out how they died. And really, when you read this report, you can see that they're really baffled, and they ruled out all of the possible... ways these could have uh, died in in a normal manner so it was a mystery that was never solved but really neat that you had this kind of uh, cattle mutilation or cattle death mystery going on that no one knew about in 1977 at Area 51 that is now released to the public and uh, I guess one of the things that's curious too is whether this document has been out there you know if it was just found or if this is yet another document that should have redacted the name Area 51 but didn't and has been out there for for some time so it's kind of funny it's also interesting I think and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this that even though Area 51 is a secret base its existence is denied uh, and the CIA's documents and many others most others crossed out the name or blacked out any reference to Area 51 or Groom Lake and, you know, whole sections of documents blacked out to keep Area 51 secret. However, there are a handful of documents out there where this wasn't done. Either there's agencies who weren't aware they were supposed to do that or agencies who maybe aren't as careful about redacting information, um, but that the name was out there.
2: You know, I think, I thought about this, and I think it's highly likely that, several of these instances where you do see Area 51 in documents is just human error.
1: Yeah, I, I think mean, you're right. On, there
2: are so many organizations. It, it, it's not like all information goes through one single like, final source. You know, yeah. These are individual, independent organizations, and they have people responsible for releasing documents or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Humans are fallible. I mean, stuff is going to get through. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me on this, and it's just a thought.
1: Because it makes me think, if there is our aliens or, or extraterrestrial craft there, um, it's kind of sloppy that the name would be getting out there, and, and human error, you know, would would cause these errors where the name is out there. If it was, you know, extremely extremely top secret, and it also makes me think of other secret projects. Why haven't we seen the name slip here and there
2: mm-hmm.
1: on those too? Right. So
2: yeah well, I mean, yeah, I know I know a lot of people disagree with me, and I've said this before. but because humans are fallible and secrets um, you know always find a way of getting out, I find it personally, I find it difficult to believe that some of these claims of humongous secrets being kept by the government, um, and have been for many, many, many years, and they haven't come out. I find that suspect because, again, I mean, a lot of government employees are people. I know a lot of government employees personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I may or may not be an employment of the government myself. Mm-hmm. So Ooh. you know these people that that I know, and we all know uh, government employees, they're they're people, they're normal people. Um, and people talk, yeah, you know, whether you get them drunk in a bar. Or they tell something to their spouse at night. Or I your mean, favorite method is seduction. Seduction. Seduction, seduction <laughs> is a great way to pull information. Mm-hmm. But information does get spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, and people have big mouths. Certain people. Yeah. Some people are great at keeping secrets. Yeah. But people I'm do good talk. Yeah. And people do slip up in yeah. <laughs> blocking out information and documents. Yeah. So really interesting, but I think either
1: way, uh, it's another mysterious, it's mysterious phenomena documented by the EPA, where they never figure out what happened. Uh, they even did some tests for, for poison in the, the drinking water. Uh, it wasn't that they, they did a really thorough investigation you can see, and, and they were left baffled. So I think it's a really cool story and I I was really excited when Shepard um, had shown me this document and happy that he, he let me post this. And I'll mention, I guess, because we haven't talked uh, since he's, or maybe we did mention this last time on the show, but he wrote an article for us also because he was at the, Congressional hearing with uh, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, SETI, and he interviewed Seth Shostak. Right. And that was a really cool story we have on the website also.
2: Yeah, an exclusive interview with Seth there post-hearing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Shepard's doing great stuff. And now it's time for our Spacing Out plug. So, of course, a lot of these stories, there's
1: a lot of other really cool stories, too, like this uh, UFO-type thing seen over uh, an iceberg, Uh, Some other cool stuff. And, of course, Maureen and Jason cover the UFO News of the Week uh, on Spacing Out, which is posted every Friday
2: on YouTube. If you'd like to hear more news and also see our uh, physically superior selves, you can watch us every Friday on our YouTube channel or just at openminds.tv. Just be careful
1: of letting Jason seduce you. Because he's just trying to get information
2: out of you. That's right. I'm warning people right now. But if you'd like to share information and be seduced, I can help you with that. <laughs> yeah, there you go, voluntary. Yeah, and I,
1: there's probably going to be some people that are going to try to take you up on that. So
2: I think so. Careful, and for I'll, it. I'll talk like this. Yeah, hello, baby. Hello. Hey, baby. Do you want to talk about UFOs? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, I got some. Why don't you share some of that information on UFOs with
2: me, baby? That's right. Ooh, I'm going to try that. That's right. Let's go to Area 51 and try it. Hey. Ooh, I could try that at Area you're 51. I haven't tried that. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll try that. Okay.
1: So that's what we'll be doing next weekend.
2: All right. And if any of you want to be seduced and or have uh, information, UFO information pulled from you involuntarily, my email address is openminds.tv. Hit me up. Oh, my gosh. You're desperate for... You're a married man. You should cut this out. You're taking it too far. Look, you can't announce that. Now nobody's gonna give me their information. You're blowing my cover here. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saving your,
1: your marriage.
2: Well, she understands that I've got a job to do. Oh, okay, good. Like well, any secret government agent. Actually, that will just bring you more people, probably, because,
1: you know, the mystery of of being involved with a lurid affair.
2: That's an old wives tale. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out.
1: All right. Thank you, Jason. Always and my
2: pleasure. We
1: will talk to you next week. However, without further ado, let's go ahead and talk to Linda Zimmerman. I am very excited to have Linda Zimmerman with me. as She wrote the book, In the Night Sky, Hudson Valley UFO Sightings, one of the UFO hotspots. Welcome, Linda.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, It looks like you've done a lot of paranormal investigation over the years.
3: Yes, for uh, I guess over 15 years now, I've been doing paranormal investigations in the Hudson Valley and combining it with my love of history, um, getting the whole interesting picture of this area that is so rich with history for hundreds of years. Mm hmm And what got
1: you into the paranormal? It looks like you were kind of into ghost hunting before uh, UFOs, really.
3: Well, I was actually a research chemist with a great interest in history. So I was uh, talking about history of my county, Rockland County, which was having its bicentennial. And I was telling some of the old Indian legends and some of the Dutch and English folk stories. And people just started asking about ghost stories. And to be honest, I was a little indignant at first. You know, I'm giving a history lecture. (laughs) Um, But uh, so many people asked, and and I loved ghost stories. I loved Hans Holzer when I was a kid. So I just started collecting stories, and people started asking me to their homes and businesses to investigate. And it really just took off. you know, a couple of years in, I was like, "What just happened?" Uh, suddenly, <laughs> I'm a ghost investigator. Wow! Uh, but but it it was fascinating, and and it actually led to the UFO investigations because after a lecture, people would come up and start telling me their UFO stories, uh-huh. and I was a little a little puzzled at first. You know, I'm talking about ghosts. Why are you talking about UFOs? And they'd say, "Well, it's all connected, isn't it?" And uh, I didn't see any connection, but their, <laughs> <laughs> their stories were so fascinating. I said, "Okay, so, something big is going on here, and, and the story needs to be told."
1: Uh huh. So, when you began doing this, this, these ghost investigations, uh, were you skeptical at first?
3: I was definitely skeptical. Uh, it's as you know, it's one thing to listen to somebody's story; it's another to to prove, you know, the validity of what they're saying. But uh, I can I can honestly say after a after a couple of hundred investigations, um, I'm fairly well convinced that something paranormal. Is definitely going on.
1: Mm -hmm. And what convinced you? When was the moment that, if there was a moment, or maybe it was over a period of time, where you went from skeptic to, wow, there's something really here?
3: Uh, Actually, I was in Gettysburg, and I was writing uh, about Civil War reenactors, you know, nothing paranormal. And my husband and I were at the the, uh, wheat field, It was actually the anniversary of the battle, and we saw this Confederate soldier walking across the field, who we assumed was a reenactor. And actually, I I said, well, this guy's the worst Confederate reenactor. He's too bright and shiny. (laughs) (laughs) He should be be dirty and grungy, and, and, uh, and my husband said, well, we'll just interview him anyway. So I reached down to get my pad and pen, and when I sat up, he was gone. And we're looking, and I said, "Oh no, he must have fallen down." Um, yeah, about 150 years ago. <laughs> huh. uh, so we went running out to the field. We just couldn't find. He had just disappeared. Wow. And my husband and I both saw the same thing, and was like, "Okay, this is this is something we absolutely can't deny." Um, so you know that sticks with you, and and. To me, seeing is believing.
1: Mm-hmm. How interesting. Yeah. Of course, this is an interview about UFOs, but I find this stuff so interesting. <laughs> I want to ask a couple more questions. Um, what then, I mean, the, the movies portray uh, the ghost phenomena as pretty scary. You know, it's all horror type of stuff and, and these children that looked uh, mangled kind of popping out of the mirror and stuff like that I mean that doesn't seem to be what ghost hunters find for the most part with this phenomena
3: no that would make our job so much easier if it <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that dramatic um, but it's usually something no more than a, a whisper or a footstep or a, a feeling um, and and as an investigator, you try to research the history of the location, combine it with the eye witness reports, and then whatever evidence you might find. And really, these are all the same disciplines you use for UFO investigations mm-hmm. as well. So it was it was good training. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you do a ghost investigation, and, and I think here's where there is also uh, some more crossover. What sort of measurement do you use? Do you take some equipment and uh, measure uh, different types of, of things?
3: Sure. We use uh, EMS meters, electromagnetic field meters, um, take the temperature. We use night vision, um, Geiger counters, anything we can possibly use to get some objective scientific measurements at a location. And you don't always get them, but sometimes, you know, you'll hit a cold spot and suddenly your EMF meter is spiking and you say, okay, it's not my imagination.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, just as you look for photographic evidence or EMF readings, you know, in a, in a UFO sighting case, you, we do the same thing in, in ghost investigations.
1: Mm-hmm. When it comes to that... Uh before we get in kind of more of the details of the sightings, do you think then there are that this, there's a tie in with the the EMF uh, for example, are there similar sort of phenomena happening you think
3: I think probably even more so with with UFO sightings with mm-hmm. EMF readings because speculating they are using some sort of propulsion so I'm sure there's some sort of electricity uh, EMF waves being generated um, with their vehicles or whatever their equipment is so if you're at the site of a a recent uh, encounter or you're seeing something right in front of you if you have a meter that's suddenly showing you know High magnetism or high electricity—it's it, a valuable tool.
0: Mm-hmm. So any
3: any scientific equipment that can validate what you're seeing or feeling um, is 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 very valuable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're doing these talks and people start to come up to you and, and tell you. The, your ufos their UFO stories where you're kind of like okay I, I gave this ghost <laughs> thing a, a go but UFOs that's a little too much for me
3: it was nothing I ever thought I would pursue but then you know I used to be a research chemist I never thought I'd be doing ghost hunting either um, but i so many credible people came up to me over the span of so many years um, it, it was it was just something I couldn't ignore. And I thought, well, you know, what kind of credibility do I have anyway with my ghost hunting I might as well <laughs> you know, I might as well get into UFOs as well. Um, but it's funny, in the Hudson Valley area of New York here, it's it's much more accepted I think than perhaps in other parts of the country.
0: Interesting. Because if
3: if you grew up here Especially if you were around here in the 1980s, you, if you didn't see something, your family member, your friend, somebody you know did. Wow. It was, it was that prevalent. So I have found it uh, to be f- far more accepting of, of the UFO phenomenon in this area.
0: Mhm.
1: That's really interesting because uh there aren't many places like that and I've heard that before and I guess this is another tie in with the the ghost phenomena in in that there are hot spots. Uh it seems when it comes to ghost activity and, and you can correct me or, or uh but it's also certainly true of UFO sightings.
3: It seems to be, and I don't have an explanation for that um but there, in spots of high strangeness as they call it um it can be strangeness of all kinds and, and we certainly have it in abundance here mm-hmm. so at what point
1: i mean when people first started coming to you with these ufo stories i in in ufo research we do know of hudson valley being a, a hot spot but were you aware of that that
3: Y- yes, I grew up in this area, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually had a sighting of my own when I was in college. Wow! Which was was very dramatic. Um, these three separate lights, which came together in this brilliant blue flash, and then lowered down onto the top of a of a mountain and, and pulsated. And you know, I was in college at the time, getting my science degree, and it's like, okay. How do we explain this scientifically? We don't. Um, so I was very much aware of it. And and again, if you lived here in the 1980s during that incredible flap, uh, it, it was it was a, a part of everyday. I mean, I interviewed people who who said, "Well, yeah, you know, I saw the giant triangle around the third or fourth time. I just." You know, said okay, there it is again. <laughs> you know, so, which is is just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are fortunate to see something for for five or ten seconds, and here were people having ten to twenty minute sightings several times in a month. Um wow. And 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 to get to the point of this blasé attitude yeah, there's UFOs, what are we going to do about it, is uh, I don't think there's too many parts of the country where, where that's too prevalent. Right. So
1: this flap in the 80s, uh, how did that, when did it begin and how?
3: It began in December of 1982. And... It really re, it really picked up and had two remarkable sightings a week apart in March of 1983, March 17th and March 24th. Those two nights, it's estimated that perhaps well over 10,000 people wow. saw these massive, silent triangles or V-shaped objects. I, I I, one of the most dramatic interviews I conducted was with three teachers who were coming home from graduate school and all the, road, all the cars on the highway were stopped. So they stopped and got out and they said a triangle bigger than a football field was silently hovering over them just at treetop level and it was there for 20 minutes. Wow. I... I I'm so jealous. I would lo- <laughs> you know, I would love to have experienced that. And the same thing happened uh, the following week. And you can imagine major highways in New York suddenly stopped. Every car and truck stopped, and people getting out and just watching these. Um, it was it was a breathtaking couple of weeks, and it continued. On and off for several years, um, I've heard someone say probably one of the longest, if not the longest flap in in uFO history
0: mm hmm
1: in, in'' '83, when that those events took place, did that uh, also hit the media
3: Oh yes, um, but generally not in any positive supporting way mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of you, you know the old Excuses of mass hysteria and planes flying in formation, and uh, of course the planet Venus and 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 everything else. It uh, it was unfortunate because it was happening so often with such intensity. Um, it would have been a really good time for the government to you know <laughs> to come out and admit. Either we don't know what these are, or it's, it's we know what they are, but don't be afraid. I mean something, but they just denied and ridiculed and, you know, tried to put a lid on the whole thing.:
0: mm-hmm.
3: And why do you think the media does that? Well, I interviewed a reporter who um, worked in the, the town of Poughkeepsie, and one of these triangles came right over their newspaper office and all of these reporters were on the roof watching this for many many minutes Wow! when it passed off uh, went off into the distance they ran downstairs to file their reports and photos and the owner came in with somebody in a suit and said this did not happen basically anybody who writes a word about this is fired and um the the media tried on on many occasions uh I interviewed a state trooper who tried to tell his story to the newspaper and the newspaper said there's no chance we're getting this story in from somebody as reliable as you. Um so some people did publish stories but uh, it it wasn't the media attention did not live up to the level of the sighting.
1: And did did that journalist kind of share his uh, speculation on who that person in the suit might have been?
3: Well, he was sure it was Air Force or CIA or some government. In fact, um, some of the reporters were uh, later harassed by uh, some sort of government officials who didn't quite identify themselves. Um, and he was he was furious about this. Even hmm. even 30 years later, you know, where's freedom of the press? I mean, we saw the most spectacular thing we've ever seen and witnessed in our lives, and we're not allowed to write a word about it. Um, you know, un, uh, constitutional rights aside, it's 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 crazy for a newspaper to. Pass up a story that would have been a, you know, a yeah, bestseller, so right? Right, right. So there was apparently extreme pressure being exerted on on members of the media during that time. Wow. When you looked into this and talked to people, did you run into more of that? Everywhere. Really. Everywhere. Uh, one one woman I interviewed, who, who her whole family had a dramatic sighting of this diamond-shaped object, which again, stopped traffic. She tried to report it, and, um, you know, they just laughed at her, and they're like, really? Don't, don't waste your breath. Wow. Um, it's, not, it's not going to happen. So, again, there were newspaper reports, and they, they usually ended with, but government officials have assured us it was a formation of small Cessna airplanes. Uh, so they usually had to include that, uh, you know, the disclaimer of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. You mentioned photos. Were there some photos taken then that, or ever printed or that you saw?
3: The best one I saw was taken the night of March 24th when mm-hmm. those three teachers viewed that object. Mm-hmm. It was a high school photography student who took this remarkable photo of a large, brilliantly lit triangle beaming a light down to the ground and illuminating the ground below it. It was published in the newspaper a couple of weeks later, uh, and I tracked this man down 30 years later, and I said, are you the same man who took this photo? And he's like, wow, that's a a blast from the past. He Hmm. said, but why... Why are you interested you know the the police told me it was just a formation of planes, and I said, "Did you look at your own foot? Does that look like a formation of planes um so there was photographic evidence, and it just wasn't you know it was dismissed as oh yeah, the kid took a picture of some planes what's what's the big deal mm-hmm. and there were uh, where, where there was other video um other photographs. Um, but again, the same thing. Oh, you're, you're just taking picture of a flight of military jets or ultralights or it was never given, none of them were ever given any credence. Mm-hmm. And what
1: people were reporting, were they all um, triangular or, or V-shaped?
3: During the 1980s, that was the predominant shape. That mm-hmm. was seen. Some were circular. Um, some described things to me like a mass of Tinker Toys or you know those Erector sets, you know, like girders and things.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so there was a variety, but uh, the 1980s was the decade of the giant triangle here.
1: hmm And so, do you get a sense, or, or that perhaps, then some of those government people knew more?
3: They had to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people told me that uh, military helicopters took off after these objects mm. or, or flights of military jets. Um, one man uh, told me a story from going back to the 1950s in this area. They saw this huge cigar-shaped craft sitting there for, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes. And they scrambled three fighter jets from the local Air Force base. And as these fighter jets were, I mean, they were bearing down on this object. I, I don't know if they were ready to fire on it. But as they approached, this thing went, went vertical and took off in the blink of an eye. And the jets just went through open air. And the next day, there was an article in the paper, nothing to worry about. Yes, fighter mm-hmm. jets were scrambled, but it was only a weather balloon. Um, So clearly they had something on radar. You don't scramble three fighter jets in the 1950s because of a weather balloon, Mm -hmm. uh, one would hope. Um, So in this area, at least, they had to have known for a long time. And I interviewed a man who was with the Air Force and working at the radar installation uh, at this Stewart Air Force Base. And he said one night... Some object raced up the East Coast at speeds we couldn't even imagine, and everybody knew it wasn't ours, it wasn't the Russians, and he said everybody was just in such an incredible state of excitement, and he said they spoke about that for months. And this was a strategic air command facility, so when, when they get excited about something, um, it's something to get excited about.
1: Right. Wow, so there is there an Air Force base in the area, Stuart? Is that what it is?
3: Yes, now it's um, it's a, not an just an air Force base anymore. It's mm-hmm. also now a commercial uh, air uh, airport, but there is still some military. I think um, the air force reserves or they fly supplies in and out of there. It's not a fighter base any mm-hmm. longer. Um, but in the 1950s, it was, it was uh, one of the three centers for Project Blue Book reports. Uh, it was Stuart Wright Patterson and Ent Air Force Base. I've, I've seen a lot of the documents where all, you know, they gathered reports and shared them among those three Air Force bases.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it was one of the locations for uh, Northeast Defense. So it was very prominent. Um, in fact, I have a chapter in my new book, Hudson Valley UFOs, just on blue book sightings made by Air Force personnel at that Air Force base. Oh,
1: cool. Wow, neat.
3: Yeah, uh, eye-openers.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you, did you ever feel that perhaps uh, some of these sightings or were... You know, maybe top secret projects or something like that.
3: I think so. Um, I have spoken to uh, ultralight pilots who were flying merrily along and had these strange cylindrical craft with stubby wings go racing by them,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: they thought uh, these must be UFOs. And many of these pilots in this area of this, uh, the Shawangunk Mountains, had seen these. And it wasn't until the Gulf War started and we all learned about drones, you know, unmanned aerial aircraft, that they realized that's what they had been seeing. So somebody in the Hudson Valley was testing drones decades ago Hmm. um, and certainly not letting the citizens know about it. So I'm sure other types of aircraft have been and probably still are being tested in this area.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and you think that might account for uh, some of these sightings?
3: I think it probably has to. Um, but, you know, when you get something the size of a football field silently hovering over you for 20 minutes, uh, you know, that, I think, is is beyond our capability or certainly was at that point. But um, certainly drones could have, um, you know, we did have a military air force base here. We have West Point. Um, there's a lot of air force. There's a lot of uh, commercial airports in the area. So, misidentified conventional aircraft and possibly military unconventional aircraft could account for a good portion. But I actually found newspaper accounts going back to 1909 in this area talking about these mysterious airships that hover at at night and take off at great speeds. Um, We absolutely did not have anything capable of doing that back then. So even if you discount some of the more modern sightings, the older ones cannot be ignored.
1: Mm hmm Yeah, pretty interesting. So did you ever, in some of your investigations, approach Stuart and uh, ask them for any sort of official, uh, ask them if they knew of anything going on in the area or ask them for a statement?
3: I did not uh, approach them to ask for a statement. Um, I had talked to several former, you know, uh, military men who worked at Stuart, and Mm -hmm. again, they said, don't. Don't even bother. They're really? not. They're not going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So, but I did talk to enough former personnel to get a pretty good picture of what what they knew and what had been going on there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's really interesting too. So, you do have two books. You have "In the Night Sky" uh, came out what last year, and then this year is "Hudson Valley UFOs." Uh, so, pretty new, right? Um,
3: yes, just a couple of months. Uh, old. I, I hadn't anticipated doing a second book but people kept contacting me and saying I have a story to tell you you have mm-hmm. to listen to me and again there was just such a compelling group of stories and, and when I found those 1909 articles I said okay we can we can push the envelope back even farther now and, and you know have an even Richer tapestry of of stories to tell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The nature of the objects seen in 1909 were the, the accounts similar to accounts that uh, happen in mod- now.
3: Well, yes, they they didn't know what they were seeing. They were always at night.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, they
3: were essentially seeing lights. Um, some thought perhaps they were cylindrical, just by lights at either end. Um, And the characteristics were they could hover silently, and they could take off at great speeds. Hmm. And they could stay in... Some of the sightings lasted as long as four hours. Wow. Which, um, if you knew what... uh, You know, if you're familiar with what planes looked like in 1909, they were lucky to stay up for 30 minutes.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And no plane had yet to fly at night in the United States in nineteen oh nine.
1: Oh really?
3: No. Um so obviously there were dirigibles, you know, uh balloons and things, but clearly they're not capable of taking off at high speed. So I I did you know, I'm 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 very compulsive with this. I, I did all my research to make sure this wasn't some somebody's experimental craft, and in the hundred years since, no evidence has been found. Um, and it's also important nobody ever used the word alien or thought these were people from Mars. Mm. They they thought the Wright brothers, or perhaps Thomas Edison, who worked nearby in northern New Jersey, um, that he they had somebody had developed this remarkable aircraft. <laughs> And, you know, you'll read these articles, and everybody's so excited. Nobody's panicking. They're excited to, have, to wow. see these flights. And they were just waiting. They expected any day now for somebody to announce, you know, Thomas Edison, to say, yes, I have developed this fabulous aircraft. So when modern critics say those mysterious airships were just cases of mass hysteria, Nobody was afraid. Nobody was, you know, thinking we were being invaded.
1: Yeah. You can't they have mass hysteria if people aren't hysterical. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> that is
1: so interesting. And it's it's interesting, too, that people kind of gave, um, you know, the Wright Brothers or, or Edison kind of this almost uh, mystical status. Like they're magicians. They can... Uh, you know, with technology, create these things that, that look like magic or almost supernatural.
3: Right. It was a great age uh, in the early 1900s of discovery and invention, and people were thrilled to be part of it.
1: Yeah, pretty cool. So, and I do love, and that that's really interesting, the, uh, the Blue Book files, especially the ones that are unknown. I think it's so interesting to look at those because, like you said, there are many accounts from Air Force personnel or, or other military personnel that are often taken more seriously than other witnesses and they're very interesting accounts. So it sounds like you ran across some of those.
3: Well, I was under the misapprehension that I should only look at the unknowns.
0: Mm.
1: And
3: then then one of Good the point. first one of the first cases I read the entire file for was Stewart Air Force Base, 1951, a captain and a lieutenant in the Air Force, who should have some clue of what's in the skies above them, Mm -hmm. sighted an object moving with what they termed planned maneuverability, obviously under intelligent control, lighted, uh, essentially zigzagging back and forth over the, the base at high speed, and then... They described the angle and the speed and the trajectory that this took off in a flash. They gave incredibly detailed reports, and yet the final conclusion was it was a weather balloon. And steam started coming out of my ears, Mm -hmm. and I read the 20-page report, and sure enough, at the, the last line of the last page, stated, no weather balloons had been released during this period mm-hmm. and so I very quickly um, lost my blue book innocence and, and realized they're just lying they're, you know, here's this compelling sighting by two Air Force officers they admit there's no air, uh, weather balloons in the air yet the official excuse conclusion was weather balloon so I read every page of every Blue Book case that had anything to do with the Hudson Valley
0: mm-hmm.
3: and found dozens and dozens of cases that were explained as, you know, swamp gas, Venus, weather balloons, and actually had incredible testimony, photographs, sketches, multiple eyewitnesses, all explained away.
1: Mhm. And that is a good point because I've going through those I first looked at unknowns, but then I also looked at what Hynek considered an unknown, uh, the astronomer consultant. And what was interesting is they didn't always agree and sometimes Hynek felt for no good reason one was something mundane, uh, when the Air Force didn't, which I thought was kind of interesting too. Uh so right, I think you you make a good point in the important uh because they did try to explain away a lot of them um, because they were just trying to close the files any way they could exactly what were is an example maybe of another really uh good one that you came across?
3: Well, there was a woman who uh reported seeing strange lights moving through the sky. In fact, the whole neighborhood um was seeing things take off and land out of the woods. And this was happening over a two-week period. She, one night she followed one of these lights. Um, she went back through the woods, and she said there was a, a rounded cylindrical, uh, a circular craft. She drew a sketch of it. She said it was the size of a Volkswagen. She was 50 feet away from it. Um, submitted all this detailed information of times, you know, the sizes, the distances, all of these other witnesses, and the official conclusion was it was a meteor. Hmm. Uh, uh, Two weeks' worth of detailed sightings, sketches, and witnesses, and they said it was a meteor, which, you know, flashes through the sky in a heartbeat. Right. So uh, I, I was just... I was infuriated uh, Mm -hmm. reading these um, and And like
1: you said often they'll do their due diligence so they'll go around and ask you know if there are any meteors sighted and and like you said because I've read some of these files where they'll say there were no meteorites reported in the area but still come to the conclusion that that's what it was
3: exactly Exactly. I I was joking, you know. You know those uh, those magic eight balls where you shake them and you get a. <laughs> That's
0: they,
1: funny. They must,
3: they must have had a cube in there that said meteor, Venus, swamp gas, and and the conclusion is. Um, That's
1: hilarious. Yeah, the blue book eight ball.
3: <laughs> That's it. That's the blue really ball.
1: funny. Yeah, the blue
3: ball. <laughs> so. Um, uh, it, it turned out to be a substantial section of the new book because, uh, as you were saying, you know, people usually just look at the unknowns. And I just went through you know, every month of every year and picked out anything that was located in the Hudson Valley and read the entire file.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it, it was, as I said, a real eye-opener that this, was far more prevalent than I had anticipated and going on with a much greater intensity for more decades than I thought. Mm -hmm. So um, honestly, I grew up also thinking, well, you know, there were some things in the 50s, 60s, mostly in the 80s, and then it really didn't happen too much anymore. And now I'm, you know, I see it's from 1909 to the present, and it's never really let up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That was going to be my next question is, is it still continuing? So you're still getting uh, very interesting uh, reports, huh?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Two days ago, there was a a sighting of a Z-shaped craft for at least 10 or 12 uh, minutes by a couple of witnesses. Um, There was uh, a lot of video that was taken in the Hudson Valley a year ago Of this bright cylindrical uh, upright object that was just pinned to the sky for hours, Hmm. and uh, a pilot who um, his job is doing aerial photography for Hollywood, he tried calling air traffic control in the FAA and said, "You have this massive object sitting in, you know, highly traveled airspace here." And they just hung up on him. Nobody wanted to hear anything You're about
1: it. You're kidding. Him. Wow. No?
3: And he videotaped this object for two hours. Wow. And many other people videotaped it as well. And the only semi-official word to come out of this whole thing was that it was a mylar balloon that had been released somewhere in Kentucky and floated its way to Maine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet it was able to remain stationary in 26-mile-an-hour winds for two hours, which is a pretty good trick for a Mylar balloon. Yeah. So here we are, um, decades past Blue Book, and we're still encountering the same resistance. Hmm. Well, have you
1: come up with any ideas or maybe speculated as to why uh, this all happens in the Hus- Hudson Valley?
3: I, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> a lot A lot of the sightings are seen either above or in the Hudson River. Or we have a lot of reservoirs here. Um, I had mentioned the Shawangunk Mountains earlier. They are very rich, rich with quartz crystals. We do have seismic activity here. We have a nuclear power plant. Um, I don't know if there's some natural Earth energies here that they can utilize. Perhaps that's why they're coming here. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we didn't have Air Force bases and nuclear power plants back in 1909 either. So I can only speculate there's something about the geology or the geography of this area that they can use.
0: Mm hmm
1: And you kind of touched on it earlier, and I think that there's a lot of UFO sightings, but there does also seem to be other paranormal phenomena that is uh, uh, in abundance in this area as well, like a hot spot for other things.
3: Uh, A prime example of that is the town of Pine Bush, which you may have heard about. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody I speak to in Pine Bush, they just shake their heads and say, weird stuff happens here, <laughs> uh, you know, and I have to agree, um, there's just something about Pine Bush that isn't normal, and I say that affectionately, I love the place, um, but it's And you're not having... saying
1: the people aren't normal,
3: No, just what goes no. on. <laughs> just what goes on, there have been sightings going back to the 1920s, um, uh, ghost stories everywhere, um, you name the type of strange, bizarre activity, and it's more than likely happened in Pine Bush.
1: Wow, how strange! And do you, so when it comes to the UFO sightings. Do you um, subscribe to the extraterrestrial hypothesis that perhaps that's what's behind these uh, these craft?
3: Uh, in the Pine Bush area, I believe so. Uh-huh. I, I'm not. I'm not ruling out that some of it could not have been military. Uh, craft, but again, when we're talking going back to the 1920s, seeing the same thing, um, obviously, uh, I don't think we had the capability of that type of craft then, either. So I think the predominant activity has to be extraterrestrial.
0: hmm
1: And along those lines, you know, you've probably then ran across people who have. Uh, felt that they've react, uh, interacted with extraterrestrials. So do you feel that uh, there's a lot of that in the area as well and possible abductions?
3: Well, I did not expect that um, when I first started my research and the very first person I interviewed just blew my mind. He, <laughs> was, he was very credible He started having abduction experiences when he was a kid in the 1950s. And he just gave me chills. He just gave me chills sitting across from him listening to his stories. So his mother, who was in her 80s, was still alive. And I said, do you mind if I speak to your mother? Because I just wanted to find out, did he have an overactive imagination as a child, this or that? And I start speaking to this sweet little old lady who blows my mind again, starts telling me about her abduction experiences going back to the 1930s.
1: Holy moly.
3: And now her grandchildren up in Vermont are having the same things happen. And abduction cases actually became the largest chapter in the book, Hmm. uh, in the Night Sky book. And I was like, how did this happen? And... I just spent an hour and a half on the phone yesterday interviewing a woman who had the most chilling experiences uh going back to when she was a child as well. And um it's it's so prevalent here. I I can't explain it. Uh not me- not so many know what happens, but so many people have told me They see a bright light or a landed craft the next thing they know it's three hours later or it's the next morning Mm. um, and they have scoop marks and bloody noses and um, even these chilling cases of one woman who was three or four months pregnant um, saw this bright light and the next day she wasn't pregnant anymore and It was really getting into territory I was not prepared to to tread, Um, but I keep finding it over and over and over again, going back generations.
1: It's funny because, uh, you know, I know I think my coworkers too feel similar. How the heck did we get here? You know, how the heck, why are we so involved with all of this stuff that, you know, years ago we would have thought is pretty dang weird.
3: Exactly.
1: That's really interesting. But there's there's so much uh, compelling information.
3: There is. And it's coming from doctors, law professors, military men, uh, police officers, politicians. I mean, I had this one politician... Uh, tell me a story about this being that kept coming into his room night after night, and and he was so uh, certain of what he experienced. He was willing to let me use his name, and I said, "Do you ha- ever have any hope of being reelected?" And he said, "Well, I'd like to." I said, "Well, we're. I appreciate your <laughs> honesty. You know, I appreciate your honesty, but we're making up a name for you, so." When a politician whose livelihood depends on the votes is willing to state his case publicly and have his name used um that's that's pretty compelling
1: uh-huh I think it was very wise of you to use a different name and and very <laughs> nice of you too, and consider it because uh I think yeah, he would have also had a surprise in some of the problems he would have ran into.
0: Absolutely. Um, had
1: you used his name. That's so interesting. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. So you've written two books, uh, you know, almost about a year apart. So you've been keeping really busy.
3: Uh, yes, hectically busy, but I, I love it. And mm-hmm. I'm already uh, already collecting more cases. They They just don't stop coming. And now that these other two books are out, and of course the film... Uh, The In the Night Sky Mm -hmm. film, the more popularity it gains, the more people are seeking me out to, you know, to tell their stories. Uh, Like this woman the other day, you know, she had not publicly told her story that, and she's in her 50s now, and this has been going on her entire life, but she, she was adamant. She goes, I want to know the truth, and I want people to know what's been happening, so I think... You know, a lifetime of being ignored um, or ridiculed—people are just getting to the point where we don't care about it any—the ridicule anymore. We need to tell our stories.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and the film—I should mention that too. A documentary was made uh, based on your book *In the Night Sky*. The documentary has the same name. And it won uh, the People's Choice Award at the UFO Congress in 2013, so... Hooray!
3: That yay! Was, <laughs> that was, that UFO Congress, I have to say, if if no one, you know, if somebody hasn't been to that before, definitely go. We just had the time of our lives there. Um, it's just so wonderful to be surrounded by people who know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you know stories to share and insights. It it was it's just such a wonderful event.
1: Well, it's good to hear you say that, and I hope we see you at the next one. And um, the documentary people could go see and purchase at UFO dot com. And where is the best
3: place for people to go see your work? Um they can get my books on amazon um, they 're available barnes and noble uh, also just about every ebook format known to mankind uh-huh. um, so it 's very easy for them to uh to get it
1: mm-hmm. and you have a site go to zim is that correct
3: yes g o t o z i m go to zim dot com uh books can be ordered directly if you want, you know, me to personalize a copy to you, I'd be happy to. Uh if you want to contact me about your story, uh, please do. Uh as I said, I am still very interested in collecting uh more evidence. So uh and you can see where I'm speaking and, and the other strange things I'm up to.
1: hmm And so and you have another UFO book in the works then it sounds like.
3: Right, I have no time frame for that, um, Mm -hmm. but I am actively still collecting information because really in the Hudson Valley there's not, I don't know of anybody else who's doing this, who is, you know, interviewing people and and collecting their stories. So, um, you know, there are some support groups. There's one in Pine Bush, actually Walker Valley, where, you know, People who have had experiences can go and share stories, but uh, nobody's really documenting them, and that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you're still out there hunting ghosts.
3: Yes, I have a Pine Bush ghost uh, hunt set up for tomorrow night, so I'll I'll be back in in crazy and weird Pine Bush. And I do want to mention, if anybody is in this area, the town of Pine Bush has actually designated a... uh, a, a location where you can go and skywatch. Um, no, oh, cool. Going to her- yes, this is a huge step because they used to arrest people Uh-oh. who parked along the side of the road and tried to look for UFOs. They'd I come- heard
1: about that.
3: Yes, it was illegal to skywatch in Pine Bush for the longest time, and now Pine Bush has a yearly UFO festival, and they have a designated UFO sighting uh, location. So times are changing.
1: Yay! And have you found <laughs> that? I guess my last question, we talked about media and everything in the media, how they treated the subject in the 80s. It seems like it's gotten better. Uh, do you feel that's true?
3: In some locations, it has definitely gotten better. Um, but unfortunately, uh the local, while the local press supported the UFO festival, the New York Post in in the city, you know, talked about it being a bunch of you know freaks in green rubber suits. Um, so there's still that, uh, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's the UFO crazy people. So, so dang New York City folk, <laughs> and they should talk, right? Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> They've got their own reputation to worry about.
3: Yes, they do.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Really interesting stuff, and I hope people uh, go check out your books. And uh, it's great that you've moved into this area and and have been contributing. So um, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. This was wonderful, and I do hope to see you at the next UFO Congress. I'll be there. Okay. Take care.
1: All right. Thank you so much to Linda Zimmerman for being on the show. Uh, Really interesting stuff. I implore you to go get her books and to also uh, watch the documentary. Really, really good stuff. And do come to the UFO Congress this year. In fact, we just posted the date and we uh, we opened registration so you can go register and everything. So uh, we don't have any speakers listed yet. However, because the thing sells out and we it's so popular and it's the biggest conference in, in the world on UFOs, uh, people want to register immediately, even before they have speaker information, so they can get in there early because, of course, especially when it comes to the hotel, I always tell you guys this, but luckily a lot of you come up and tell me, man, thanks for telling me about uh, getting into the hotel early because the hotel does sell out and there are other hotels, but they're a little bit of a distance away or at least You know, it's always nice to stay in the same hotel that uh, all the speakers and and all the events are in. So go ahead and go to openminds.tv or ufocongress.com. We also have like ufocongress.org and .net or all kinds of stuff. But go to uh, openminds.tv or ufocongress.com and you can go uh, register for the conference And actually, these days, I've seen a lot of conferences that are shorter and cost more. So it's a great deal, and you'll want to check that out. And of course, the earlier you register, the better the deal. Otherwise, uh, remember spacing out. If you go to our site, you'll see that on YouTube. And all of the news and stories that we talked about, you'll see on our website there at openminds.tv. We have another really cool video, too. I've talked a lot about this uh, air force letter that i sent out and and richard doty and disinformation and all of this and we've got a new video coming out hopefully today or at least this week uh where we go in depth into this and uh give you more information i talked about this on coast to coast and and on uh, podcast ufo and stuff so yeah finally it'll be out in video format if you're not the type who likes to read and, and follow links and stuff and uh sometimes it's easier just to watch a video so that will be out as well. So just come to openminds.tv to see that. Uh, look forward to Roger Marsh's stories on Mufon sightings and, you know, all kinds of really cool stuff. So before we go, as usual, I want to thank the guy who created our awesome open and closed music. We always have a lot of people saying, man, your music is cool. And it is. And it's done by Caleb Hanks. He uh, has a website called The Clerk Chronicles. You can go there. You can, regist- you can Google Clerk Chronicles, Caleb Hanks. You'll find his site. And he actually posts his music for free. It's really cool stuff. But uh, thank you to Caleb Hanks for the music. Otherwise, join us next week for another great show. And thank you all for joining us this week. Adios, muchachos.